Your listenership is so important to us. We really do hope you're enjoying the show. If you're able to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be enormously helpful in allowing us to reach more people and help them get a good night's sleep. So is following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player that you use. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Tonight, I'll be reading The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, Little John and the Tanner of Blythe by Howard Pyle. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Little John and the Tanner of Blythe One fine day, not long after Little John had left abiding with the sheriff and had come back with his worship's cook to the merry green wood, as has just been told, Robin Hood and a few chosen fellows of his band lay upon the soft sward beneath the greenwood tree where they dwelled. The day was warm and sultry, so that while most of the band were scattered through the forest upon this mission and upon that, these few stout fellows lay lazily beneath the shade of the tree in the soft afternoon, passing jests among themselves and telling merry stories with laughter and mirth. All the air was laden with the bitter fragrance of the May, and all the bosky shades of the woodlands beyond rang with the sweet song of birds, the throstlecock, the cuckoo, and the wood pigeon, and with the song of the birds mingled the cool sound of the gurgling brook that leaped out of the forest shades and ran fretting amid its rough grey stones across the sunlit open glade before the trysting tree. And a fair sight was that half-score of tall, stout yeomen, all clad in Lincoln green, lying beneath the broad spreading branches of the great oak tree, amid the quivering leaves of which the sunlight shivered and fell in dancing patches upon the grass. Suddenly Robin Hood smote his knee. By St. Dustin, quoth he, I had nigh forgot that quarter day cometh on apace and yet no cloth of Lincoln green in our store. It must be looked to, and that in quick season. Come, busk thee, little John, stir those lazy bones of thine, for thou must get thee straight away to our good gossip, the draper 
Hugh Longshanks of Aincaster. Bid him send us straightway twenty score yards of fair cloth of Lincoln green, and mayhap the journey may take some of the fat from off thy bones that thou hast gotten from lazy living at our dear sheriff's. Nay, muttered little John, for he had heard so much upon this score that he was sore upon the point. Nay, truly, mayhap I have more flesh upon my joints than I once had, yet, flesh or no flesh, I doubt not that I could still hold my place and footing upon a narrow bridge against Eyre and Yeoman in Sherwood, or Nottingham for that matter, even though he had more fat about his bones than thou hast. Good master. At this reply, a great shout of laughter went up, and all looked at Robin Hood, for each man knew that Little John spake of a certain fight that happened between their master and himself, through which they first became acquainted. Nay, quoth Robin Hood, laughing louder than all. Heaven forbid that I should doubt thee, for I care for no taste of thy staff myself, little John. I must needs own that there are those of my band can handle a seven-foot staff more deftly than I. Yet no man in all Nottinghamshire can draw grey goose shaft with my fingers. Nevertheless. A journey to Ancaster may not be for ill, so go thou, as I bid, and thou had best go this very evening, for since thou hast abided at sheriffs, many know thy face, and if thou goest in broad daylight, thou mayest get thyself in a coil with some of his worship's men at arms. Bid thou here till I bring thee money to pay our good Hugh. I warrant he hath no better customer in all Nottinghamshire than we. So saying, Robin left them and entered the forest. Not far from the trysting tree was a great rock in which a chamber had been hewn the entrance being barred by a massive oaken door, two palms breadth in thickness, studded with spikes and fastened with a great padlock. This was the treasure house of the band, and thither Robin Hood went, and, unlocking the door, entered the chamber, from which he brought forth the bag of gold which he gave to little John, to pay Hugh Longshanks withal for the cloth of Lincoln Green. Then up got little John, and, taking the bag of gold, which he thrust into his bosom, he strapped a girdle about his loins, took a stout pike shaft full seven feet long in his hand, and set forth upon his journey. 
So he strode whistling along the leafy forest path that led to Foss Way, turning neither to the right hand nor the left, until at last he came to where the path branched, leading on the one hand onwards to Foss Way, and the other, as well little John knew, to the merry Blue Boar Inn. Here little John suddenly ceased whistling and stopped in the middle of the path. First he looked up, and then he looked down, and then, tilting his cap over one eye, he slowly scratched the back part of his head. For thus it was, at the sight of these two roads, two voices began to alarm within him, the one crying, there lies the road to the Blue Boar Inn, a can of brown October, and a merry night with sweet companions such as thou mayest find there. The other, there lies the way to Ancaster, and the duty thou art sent upon. Now the first of these two voices was the far louder, for little John had grown passing fond of good living through abiding at the sheriff's house. So, presently, looking up into the blue sky, across which bright clouds were sailing like silver boats, and swallows skimming in circling flight, quoth he, I fear me it will rain this evening so I'll e'en stop at the blue ball till it passes by, for I know my good master would not have me wet to the skin. So, without more ado, off he strode down the path that lay the way of his likings. Now there was no sign of any foul weather, but when one wishes to do a thing, as little John did, one finds no lack of reasons for the doing. Four merry wags were at the Blue Boar Inn, a butcher, a beggar, and two barefoot friars. Little John heard them singing from far away as he walked through the hush of the mellow twilight that was now falling over the hill and dale. Right glad were they to welcome such a merry blade as little John. Fresh cans of ale were brought, and with jest and song and merry tales, the hours slipped away on fleeting wings. None thought of time or of tide till the night was so far gone that little John put by the thought of setting forth upon his journey again that night, and so bid it at the Blue Boar Inn until the morning. Now it was ill piece of luck for little John that he left his duty for his pleasure, and he paid a great score for it, as we are all apt to do in the same case, as you shall see. Up he rose at the dawn of the next day, and, Taking his stout pike staff in his hand, he set forth upon his journey once more, 
as though he would make up for lost time. In the good town of Blythe there lived a stout tanner, celebrated far and near for feats of strength and many tough bouts at wrestling and the quarter-staff. For five years he had held the mid-country champion belt for wrestling, till the great Adam Lincoln cast him in the ring and broke one of his ribs. But at quarter-staff he had never yet met his match in all the country about. Besides all this, he dearly loved the longbow and a sly jaunt in the forest when the moon was full and the dun deer in season, so that the king's rangers kept a shrewd eye upon him and his doings, for Arthur Bland's house was apt to have a plenty of meat in it that was more like venison than the law allowed. Now Arthur had been to Nottingham Town the day before Little John set forth on his errand, there to sell half a score of tanned cowhides. At the dawn of the same day that Little John left the inn, he started from Nottingham, homeward for Blythe. His way led, all in the dewy morn, past the verge of Sherwood, where the birds were welcoming the lovely day with a great merry jubilee. Across the tanner's shoulders was slung his stout quarter-staff, ever near enough to him to be gripped quickly, and on his head was a cap of doubled cowhide, so tough that it could hardly be cloven even by a broadsword. Now, quoth Arthur Bland to himself, when he had come to that part of the road that cut through a corner of the forest. No doubt at this time of year the dun deer are coming from the forest depths nigh to the open meadow lands. Mayhap I may chance to catch a sight of the dainty brown darlings thus early in the morn. For there was nothing he loved better than to look upon a tripping herd of deer, even when he could not tickle their ribs with his clothyard shaft. Accordingly, quitting the path, he went peeping this way and that through the underbush, spying now here and there with all the wiles of a master of woodcraft, and of one who had more than once donned a doublet of Lincoln Green. Now as little John stepped blithely along, thinking of nothing but of such things as the sweetness of the hawthorn buds that bedecked the hedgerows, or gazing upward at the lark that, springing from the dewy grass, hung aloft, on quivering wings in the yellow sunlight, pouring forth in song that fell like a falling star from the sky. His luck led him away from the highway, not far from the spot where Arthur Bland was peeping this way and that through the leaves of the thickets. Hearing a rustling of the branches, little John stopped 
and presently caught sight of the brown cowhide cap of the tanner moving among the bushes. I do much wonder, quoth little John to himself, what yon knave is after, that he should go thus peeping and peering about, I verily believe, that yon scurvy varlet is no better than a thief, and cometh here after our own and the good king's done dear. For by much roving in the forest, little John had come to look upon all the deer in Sherwood as belonging to Robin Hood and his band as much as good King Harry. Nay, quoth he again, after a time, this matter must e'en be looked into. So quitting the high road, he also entered the thickets, began spying around after stout Arthur a bland. So for a long time they both of them went hunting about, little John after the tanner, and the tanner after the deer. At last little John trod upon a stick, which snapped under his foot, whereupon, hearing the noise, the tanner turned quickly and caught sight of the yearman. Seeing that the tanner had spied him out, little John put a bold face upon the matter. Hilloa, quoth he, what art thou doing here, thou naughty fellow? Who art thou that comest ranging Sherwood's paths? In very sooth thou hast an evil cast of countenance, and I do think, truly, that thou art no better than a thief, and comest after our good king's dear. Nay, quoth the tanner boldly, for, though taken by surprise, he was no man to be frightened by big words. Thou liest in thy teeth, I am no thief, but an honest craftsman, as for my countenance, it is what it is, and, for the matter of that, thine own is none too pretty, thou saucy fellow. Ha! quoth little John, in a great loud voice, wouldst thou give me back talk? Now I have a great part of mind to crack thy pate for thee. I would have thee know, fellow, that I am, as it were, one of the king's foresters, leastwise, muttered he to himself, I and my friends do take good care of our good sovereigns, dear. I care not who art thou, answered the bold tanner, and unless thou hast many more of thy kind by thee, thou canst never make Arthur a bland cry a mercy. Is it so? cried little John in a rage. Now, by my faith, thou saucy rogue, thy tongue hath led thee into a pit thou wilt have a sorry time getting out of, for I will give thee such a drubbing as ne'er hast thou had in all thy life before. Take thy staff in thy hand, fellow, for I will not smite an unarmed man. Marry, come up with a murrin, cried the tanner, for he, too, had talked himself into a fume. 
big words ne'er killed so much as a mouse. Who art thou talkest so freely of cracking the head of Arthur a bland? If I do not tan thy hide this day as ne'er I tanned a calf hide in all my life before, split my staff into skewers for lamb's flesh, and call me no more brave man. Now look to thyself, fellow. Stay, said little John. Let us first measure our cudgels. I do reckon my staff longer than thine, and I would not take vantage of thee by even so much as an inch. Nay, I pass not for length, answered the tanner. My staff is long enough to knock down a calf. So look to thyself, fellow, I say again. So, without more ado, each gripped his staff in the middle, and, with fell and angry looks, they came slowly together. No news had been brought to Robin how that little John, instead of doing his bidding, had passed by duty for pleasure, and so had stopped overnight with merry company at the Blue Boar Inn, instead of going straight to Ancaster. So, being vexed to his heart by this, he set forth at dawn of day to seek little John at the Blue Boar or at least to meet the yearman on the way, and ease his heart of what he thought of the matter. As thus he strode along in anger, putting together the words he would use to chide little John, he heard, of a sudden, loud and angry voices, as of men in rage, passing fell words back and forth from one another. At this, Robin Hood stopped and listened. Surely, quoth he to himself, that is little John's voice, and he is talking in anger also. Methinks the other is strange to my ears. Now heaven forfend that my good trusty little John should have fallen into the hands of the king's rangers. I must see to this matter, and that quickly. Thus spoke Robin Hood to himself, all his anger passing away like a breath from the window pane, at the thought that perhaps his trusty right-hand man was in some danger of his life. So cautiously he made his way through the thickets whence the voices came, and, pushing aside the leaves, peeped into the little open space where the two men staff in hand, were coming slowly together. Ha! quoth Robin to himself. Here is merry sport afoot. Now I would give three golden angels from my own pocket if young stout fellow would give little John a right sound drubbing. It would please me to see him well thumped for having failed in my bidding. I fear me, though, there is but poor chance of my seeing such a pleasant sight. So saying, he stretched himself at length upon the ground, that he might not only see the sport the better, but that he might enjoy the merry sight at his ease. 
As you may have seen, two dogs that think to fight, walking slowly round and round each other, neither cur wishing to begin the combat. So those two stout yearmen moved slowly around, each watching for a chance to take the other unaware, and so get in the first blow. At last Little John struck like a flash, and, rap, the tanner met the blow and turned it aside, and then smote back at Little John, who also turned the blow, and so this mighty battle began. Then up and down and back and forth they trod, the blows flailing so thick and fast that, at a distance, one would have thought that half a score of men were fighting. Thus they fought for nigh of half an hour, until the ground was all ploughed up with the digging of their heels, and their breathing grew laboured like the ox in the furrow. But little John suffered the most, for he had become unused to such stiff labour, and his joints were not as supple as they had been before he went to dwell with the sheriff. All this time Robin Hood lay beneath the bush, rejoicing at such a comely bount of quarter-staff. By my faith, quoth he to himself, never had I thought to see little John so evenly matched in all my life. Belike, though, he would have overcome yon fellow before this had been in his former trim. At last, Little John saw his chance, and, throwing all the strength he felt going from him into one blow that might have felled an ox, he struck at the tanner with might and main. And now did the tanner's cowhide cap stand him in good stead and but for it he may never have held staff in hand again. As it was, the blow he caught beside the head was so shrewd that it sent him staggering across the little glade, so that, if little John had had the strength to follow up his vantage, it would have been ill for stout Arthur. But he regained himself quickly, and, at arm's length, struck back a blow at little John, and this time the stroke reached his mark, and down went little John at full length, his cudgel flying from his hand as he fell. Then, raising his staff, stout Arthur dealt him another blow upon the ribs. Hold, roared little John. Wouldst thou strike a man when he is down? Ay, marry would I, quoth the tanner, giving him another thwack with his staff. Stop, roared little John. Help, hold, I say. I yield me, I yield me, I say, good fellow. Hast thou had enough? asked the tanner grimly holding his staff aloft. I marry, and more than enough. And thou dost own that I am the better man of the two. 
Yea, truly, and a moon sees thee, said Little John, the first aloud, and the last to his beard. Then thou mayest go thy ways, and thank thy patron saint that I am merciful, said the tanner. A plague o such mercy as thine, said Little John, sitting up and feeling his ribs where the tanner had cudgelled him. I make my vow, my ribs feel as though every one of them were broken in twain. I tell thee, good fellow, I did think there was never a man in all Nottinghamshire could do me what thou hast done this day. And so I thought also, cried Robin Hood, bursting out of the thicket and shouting with laughter till the tears ran down his cheeks. Oh man, oh man, said he, as well as he could for his mirth. A didst go over like a bottle knocked from a wall. I did see the whole merry bout and never did I think to see thee yield thyself so, hand and foot, to any man in all merry England. I was seeking thee, to chide thee for leaving my bidding undone, but thou hast been paid all I owed thee, full measure, pressed down and overflowing, by this good fellow. Marry, I did reach out his arm full length, while thou stood gaping at him, and, with a pretty rap, tumbled thee over as never have I seen one tumble before. So spoke bold Robin, and all the time little John sat upon the ground, looking as though he had sour curds in his mouth. What may be thy name, good fellow? said Robin, next turning to the tanner. Men do call me Arthur a Bland, spoke up the tanner boldly. And now, what may be thy name? Ha, Arthur a Bland, quoth Robin. I have heard thy name before, good fellow. Thou didst break the crown of a friend of mine at the fair and Ely last October. The folk there call him Jack o' Nottingham. We call him Will Scaveslock. This poor fellow whom thou hast so laboured discounted the best hand at quarterstaff in all merry England. His name is Little John, and mine Robin Hood. How, cried the tanner, art thou indeed the great Robin Hood, and this the famous Little John? Marry. Had I known who thou art, I would never have been so bold as to lift my hand against thee. Let me help thee to thy feet, good master Little John, and let me brush the dust from thy coat. Nay, quoth Little John testily, at the same time rising carefully, as though his bones had been made of glass. I can help myself, good fellow, without thy aid, and let me tell thee, had it not been for that vile cowskin cap of thine, it would have been ill for thee this day. 
At this, Robin laughed again, and, turning to the tanner, he said, Wilt thou join my band, good Arthur? For I make my vow, thou art one of the stoutest men that ever mine eyes beheld. Will I join thy band? cried the tanner joyfully. I, marry, will I? Hey for a merry life, cried he, leaping aloft and snapping his fingers. And hey for the life I love, away the tan bark and filthy vats and foul cow hides. I will follow thee to the ends of the earth, good master, and not a herd of dundeer in all the forest but shall know the sound of the twang of my bowstring. As for thee, little John, said Robin, turning to him and laughing, thou wilt start once more for Ancaster, and we will go part way with thee, for I will not have thee turn again to either the right hand or the left till thou hast fairly gotten away from Sherwood. There are other inns that thou knowest yet hereabouts. Thereupon, leaving the thickets, they took once more to the highway and departed upon their business. <laughs>